Welcome to the We Go Places podcast, where we catch up with We Go grads with unique careers and the roads they travel to get there. I'm your host, Brian Turnbaugh, English teacher at We Go since 2001, and you just heard intro music from Max Russo, the class of 2020. Today, we talk to Douglas Selby, class of 2008, a safety electronics engineer for Ford Motors. In the interview, Douglas shares with us how a childhood enchantment for solving puzzles led him to be an engineer at one of the most prominent automotive companies in the world, Ford Motors. Joining us today is Douglas Selby from the class of 2008. Doug, tell us what you do. I'm an engineer with the Ford Motor Company. I'm a member of the product development core team responsible for the tire pressure monitoring system or TPMS. Douglas, how did you um, begin your interest in all things engineering? I guess I've always had an interest in uh, puzzles and technology as a whole. Um, I, I've always liked math and science. And so, you know, you combine all those things and you get pretty easily to engineering. So it, it's, it's, I didn't, I didn't have a lot of confusion over that I wanted to go into an engineering field, but uh, I guess more trying to land a specific major was more difficult for me. Do you remember what were some of the like introductory types of puzzles that you did when you were younger that kind of led you down the path of like, I think I want to be an engineer. I like the type of um, pleasure that comes from solving uh, these problems. What were some of those kind of initial kind of uh, activities or puzzles uh, that um, kind of gave you the confidence to keep on pursuing this? I, I guess, you know, an aptitude for brain games, uh, you know, some not necessarily uh, just like trivia, which I, I also enjoy, but, but mainly like just trying to solve a problem, you know, like the I think it's called rush hour or something, trying to get the, the car through. You have to slide all the different colored uh, vehicles in on, on your highway in this little board games, you know, however many squares. Uh, and you got to slide your car to the destination. And they got all kinds of different, like, uh, example layouts or templates for the, the kids to try. That was one uh, good example uh, of something that was interesting, uh, a problem-solving challenge kind of game. But... Um, I think in high school, I started getting closer to, you know, trying to focus more on kind of a software type of angle. I was uh, in the web design class and and, all, and I really enjoyed uh, that part of it. So there were many late nights where uh, I, you know, go, go sit down at the computer when it's sunny out. And then five minutes later, I've been racking my brain and it's dark and it's midnight. So it's like, oh, I've, you know spent many many hours trying to do that stuff and enjoyed it what were the type of like so was it code and what was the type of sophomore lang language software languages that you were um, learning when you were in high school uh well i i guess in the web design class which was not, it was kind of directed in terms of everybody could kind of do their own thing um i i guess that at that point i had already kind of proven I, I could be self-led uh, and just kind of do my own thing and explore my own areas and help kind of the other kids try to, to learn new things. So, you know, cascading style sheets and HTML, just the basics of all that. But as I was doing like competitions with uh, FBLA, uh, they have a, they have specifically a web design 
uh, uh, competition. And so get into that. And then you really see what the other kids are doing and, uh, you know, PHP and all that kind of stuff. So that was mainly my intro stuff. But it wasn't until college that I really started working. I didn't have an AP uh, computer science in high school. So that's when I got to college was when I really started working with uh, software languages. Now, you, I remember in speaking to you prior, you had a very uh, unique type of process of knowing how to select the college you went to. Uh, can you explain how you kind of came to that type of uh, decision to go to the, to the school that you went to? Right. So my experience in high school, I, I was really interested in design, not just like the, you know, how a, how a software is designed or, but the actual aesthetics of it. So, and around the same time, you know, you have the iPhone coming out and all this kind of stuff. And that was kind of an, an environment where I was thinking about, well, how does the thing that fits in my hand or the, uh, you know, the products that we use all, every day, you know, how are they aesthetically pleasing how are they useful what are, what are, what are the what are the key factors that people research and you know what are the trends so that that was where i came from from a high school standpoint so when i was looking for college i was like i don't just want to be the software guy plugging away at my computer and i could technically do that anywhere uh, and nowadays there's a lot of resources online for for kids to to learn about all that stuff without even having to pay tuition anywhere. But uh, so I wanted a, a tough program, a program that had a lot of different things. Cause I also had an interest in electronics. Um, so what I, I landed at uh, Rose Holman Institute of Technology, which is a small engineering college in uh, Terre Haute, Indiana. It has uh, two, 2000 undergrad. So it's basically the size of WeGo. I didn't have as much adjustment such as people going to a big university. And so you you go to Rose Holman uh, and for computer engineering. For, for computer uh, engineering. And I think I may have asked this question before, which is with computer engineering, how is that different than maybe like other types of engineering? Because I mean, we can get our minds around electrical, chemical, but computer engineering, what, what distinguishes the type of work that you do in, um, in pursuit of that degree? I would, I would draw a line very firmly between computer science and other types of engineering. Computer science is, has a much stronger math base. So you're, you're, you're mainly just trying to optimize you know, uh, uh, trying to trying to solve very difficult quest- questions or problems in the shortest amount of time, and a lot of it, it it's it just I I would liken it more closely to a math degree as opposed and a theoretical sense as opposed to an engineering, which is more concerned with the solving of problems and how to implement solutions. So. Um, on the spectrum between electrical engineering, which is pure circuitry, pure hardware, uh, for the most part, and uh, software engineering, which is again uh, addressing problems through software design uh, and different solutions only in software. Uh, computer engineering sits very nicely between the two. So my coursework at Rose Holman was uh, very uh, evenly split between between the two, uh, uh, hardware and software, 
uh, focused curriculum. Do you remember when it became apparent to you that you're like, this is what I want to do? Do you remember what you were working on while you were at school where it like if you were were you ever straddling the fence, which is, well, maybe it's software or engineer uh, or it, where do you remember what you're working on where it all kind of crystallized in your mind? Like, yeah, this is where I need to be. I think everybody has those those thoughts for, you know, however long uh, when they when they try to make a commitment or trying to get into a, a specific college at a university. Um, I think very early on, I observed my level of frustration at the uncertainty and vagaries of why doesn't the software work and pound your head against the desk? Why does it work when it wasn't working previously? Um, which seems nonsensical. It's just ones and zeros. You just have to line them up in the right way. But sometimes it's just not as uh, easily translatable um, when it comes to solving problems, especially in your homework. But I enjoyed the creativity that the software offered me. But oftentimes, well, well I, I mean, I, I enjoyed it just enough. I enjoyed certain parts of the uh, hardware classes and uh, those kind of designs. But uh, uh, neither one of them grabbed a hold of my lapels and said, you must only pursue this and ignore all their focus. I, I, I suppose I'm much more of a generalist in that sense. Yeah, that makes that makes sense. So when you, when you go off to a, a school that has a such a unique con, kind of concentration that you selected, you you probably had really great connections to be able to have very rich intern uh, inter- internship uh, possibilities. What were some of the places that you were able to kind of uh, go to as an undergrad uh, with your uh, with as an intern? Well, uh, I'll say I'll, I'll make a slight deviation there. So um, the reason one of the reasons I uh, selected Rose Holman is I went I visited a lot of schools. Uh, and looked at specifically the computer engineering, and I wanted a a healthy mix of of both disciplines, hardware and software. And so, one of the good tools is a sample program of through each you know semester or quarter. What types of classes do they typically recommend for this uh, particular major? And and uh, so that that's something uh, that's always good to ask when you go and look at colleges. Is just tr- try to see what the the coursework um, that you'll be handling and therefore what kind of jobs you'll be available for or, or can promote your your acumen in when you look for internships. Um, one of the first ones I did was as a power supply um, design at Technicolor, which you may know for uh, making the Wizard of Oz look wonderful. So it's a <laughs> firm in Indiana that mainly builds uh, cable boxes for like uh, DirecTV. So I worked uh, on that on purely a hardware basis uh, for the most part. So that was a lot of learning how to solder correctly and and uh, be, get confident in that area of prototyping uh, circuits. And that was a lot of fun. And then I followed that up the subsequent summers at uh, Delphi, which you may know as uh, uh, you know your older parents or may know as AC Delco. They built uh, mm-hmm. car radios uh, for a very long time. And uh, so I worked on a government grant uh, program to uh, implement vehicle-to-vehicle wireless uh, communication uh, over like a Wi-Fi type of signal. What was the um, 
the intent of that technology for a why like a signal to signal like why why would the um, automobiles need to have a, a kind of that type of um, connection to each other? Right. Was it, so was, it was like a military type of thought, or what was the? No, it was it was a, a program uh, that was put forward by the National Transportation Safety Institute, and they were trying to encourage the industry to develop the standards so they kind of put together a, a broad package of what are what are some good safety uh mini applications so say someone is breaking uh, a car in front of you but it's you know two cars in front of you so you can't see the brake lights and so you may be traveling at a good speed and the car in directly in front of you is slow to react so um by allowing all the cars behind the heavily braking car to have a signal that's been passed wirelessly um, uh, a lot earlier, then that increases the amount of time that the people behind them have to react and to uh, to break. Um, there was also a GPS-based thing where um, every car would be kind of tracked uh, anonymously as it approached a given intersection. And if uh, the if an individual's vehicle sensed that that person was going to uh, what's what's the correct word violate the red light um then the all the other cars in the intersection would receive that signal saying somebody's going to come through and you better you know watch out for that um there's lane changing and and all that kind of stuff so it was that that was a very interesting project that's so fascinating because on the one hand you're creating an ambient awareness amongst the cars to keep everyone collectively safe. And that's a, an inherent good. However, if bad actors were to weaponize and bug the software, mm-hmm. that could be a real bad thing. That's so, what, a yeah. cool, what a cool project. What, wow. What's, in, what's an, again interesting is that the, the government didn't pursue basically mandating that everybody has to have this technology because enough time went on of government bickering and and dithering and saying, oh, maybe we want to use this specific wireless band that's similar to Wi-Fi. Maybe we want to give it to the cell phone companies for for them to purchase and use for, you know, those cell phone, you know, extra bandwidth. Uh, it's like, well, maybe the software, the safety application for the vehicles would, would do more good for uh, the public. And so, of enough time went on that the car manufacturers, you know, were kind of saying, well, we don't have to use this particular wireless technology. We can just use everything with cell phones uh, and maybe, you know, do the same kind of vehicle to vehicle communication just through the modem that's included with many uh, vehicles now. Wow. I, the there's There's so much policy and ethical... Uh, questions that become inherent with even pursuing something like that. What a neat project. Cool. Okay. So that was uh, for uh, Delphi. Then, um, so you end up graduating from uh, Rose Holman. Then how were you able to uh, find your way to Ford? So when I showed up on the freshman day of, of college, I showed up with all my bags. I threw them down on my bed. My roommate wasn't around yet, so I went wandering around my residence hall. And I, the first person I met uh, was the guy who recommended the open position at Ford for me. Uh, so I was very lucky. 
um, in that sense that, you know, it, it, you never know who is going to be important later on in your life. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I've been with the same team in the tire pressure monitor group uh, for almost eight years now, which is crazy to say. What does a typical day look like for you? So you, um, I mean, I, I would imagine when, are you working from home now because of COVID or are you guys back in the office? I am. Um, there are occasions where, uh, you know, I have to schedule, go into a particular facility or pick up a vehicle. But uh, I, I'd say, you know, if you asked me that three years ago, my or three or four years ago, I would have said that my typical day is managing um, a test schedule of uh, trying uh, and, you know, basically a small fleet of vehicles uh, per that schedule. Who, What's going to what supplier to do more testing? What needs this software updated? What uh, is there a specific program? Uh, sorry, a specific vehicle that's causing problems, so go investigate that. So I was much more focused on the uh, delivery of a specific um, uh, vehicle to manufacture, you know, to through the design process, through the validation, and to manufacturing for it to be released to, to the customer, and much more focused on individual cars. So I was the I had responsibility for the Explorer program for the 2016 launch, and I also helped out with the 2020 uh, Explorer program and the 2018 Expedition Navigator uh, vehicles. So that was basically, those were my responsibility, and anything related to TPMS uh, went through me. Um, Now I have more of a, I guess, a longer focus and more of a, a, you know, a day-to-day is is much more split between different pies and less focused on the individual vehicles or testing individual vehicles. So this is fascinating to me. So uh, the, the testing process, so you, you, you have an office, but then when you have to actually look at the performance of the thing that you're working on, what does that uh, look like when, let's say, the sensor is not doing what you intended it to do? Um, where does that activity uh, occur? Is there a, is there a specific park or facility that Ford does all of their tire pressure testing, or or is it all in one campus where that occurs? I'd like it if I had my own test facility just for tire pressure. That'd be lovely. <laughs> uh, so. I- it's an interesting way you phrase the question. Um, how does that testing look like when something isn't working right? But I'd say it starts a lot earlier, and it starts in uh, the software modeling. And that's my main uh, responsibility now is that I'm the main uh, software validator. Even before any vehicle is even built or any part for any vehicle is even thought about being built, we have the entire functional behavior of our little system. Um, on you know uh, the brains of the vehicle, as it were, and I can run that from my computer and and do my uh, early validation that way. And I have a very long list of test procedures of do this and do this and do this. And if this doesn't work, well, that's because you know of these three things. And and so a lot of the uh, problems are identified and and the bugs squashed before it even gets to any you know actual released software on actual physical hardware. And then it becomes, okay, I have the brain, I have this particular computer module, 
in my hand, and that's the brains of the vehicle. But it's not in a in a car. It's sitting on my desk, and I've plugged it up to a power supply, and I'm transmitting simulated tire pressure transmissions over radio frequency and to its receiver and basically running a vehicle uh, virtually in actual hardware. So I've done two levels of checking. I've checked it in uh, basically a virtual sense, the software, the early software. I've checked the release software on the hardware disassembled. And then when it gets to the vehicle, I've already done most of the hard work so that it becomes what are the interactions that our system and the other systems are maybe you know talking past each other screwing each other up and you know what does the actual sheet metal uh, act like um, so when it comes to that uh, we have a number of test tracks we use public roads specifically because my feature is a a wireless uh, radio frequency we use those transmissions from the sensors in the individual tires and we transmit that over uh, rf to the antenna the same antenna that you use to unlock and remote uh, unlock your uh, using your key fob um, and then that gets sent in so we like to saturate the the vehicles in as much rf which is means driving them as close as possible to other uh, unsuspecting passengers now just with you know on public roads is where i do a large number of testing but i also do tests on the test track when i can when you're talking about like the test track and in that like how i'm just trying to think of all the various different variables no doubt you've this is your job you've thought about this and i'm just kind of now processing all of this but you have to create something that will keep your your drivers safe but you also have to somehow create the design that will accommodate the tire pressure standard of someone who's going to be in Miami versus Minneapolis versus the slick streets of a warm rain in Seattle and all the various different uh, temperature and, and, and road conditions. I can't even imagine how you're able to process all the various variables in that. Is, is there anything that surprises you in terms of accommodating new challenges and variables when you're designing uh, something that would kind of throw uh, a hiccup into your um, design flaw? Well, here's a, here's, I know it's a lot. No, 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 it's okay. Uh, What I, what I find there's, there's, I guess, two examples and and one is more humorous. So the, uh, recently COVID, you know, happened and everybody's trying to get masks, get PPE, get cleaning equipment. Um, and so Ford supplies a large number of the police interceptors and utility vehicles and the, which are essentially shared between, you know, hundreds of police officers. So how do you keep those things sanitary and, and, uh, you know, is there any way we can help them out, basically? And this was last April. And they, uh, you know, engineers went to work and they thought, well, uh, how do you kill um, the virus, uh, you know, according to the CDC? Well, you have to cook it. Uh, well, why don't we just seal up the vehicle and uh, pump up the, the, uh, the heat, uh, the air, and basically cook the interior of the vehicle for 15 minutes? And so they, you know, figured out a way to do that while the while the vehicle is essentially an idle, and then you let it uh, cool down a little bit. Um, so so they came up with that solution, 
And the way they did that was they spoofed the speed signal, so it basically revved up the engine and uh, heated up the car that way. Well, when you do that, um, all the other modules that are listening to that speed signal are thinking the vehicle is driving. So our particular algorithm, and we weren't you know, part of that effort, but our, our algorithm starts its internal timer to say when it's at a certain speed, you're listening for the TPMS transmission. If you don't get any after 20 minutes, it's going to set off the tire pressure light. So at that huh. point, they said, we are trying to do this fun thing for the police officers, but we keep getting tire pressure lights. And we're like, well, you're cranking up the dial in order to tell them you know, how long it's doing and you're screwing with the speed signal, that's going to happen. And they're like, oh, that's interesting. So uh, I forgot the question. Anyway, <laughs> which is, uh, I think the the question was, and you're, you're, how do you deal with all the different variables? Exactly. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the other, the other story I'll say is the reason that uh, uh, what I described before is I do the testing in the virtual environment, just in software. I do it when uh, the software is released as being working. And I test, you know, on that sense for the disassembled pieces of the hardware. And then I test on the, the vehicle itself. And, the effect of all that testing, all that robustness baked in, was is that you become much more confident that individual pro- problems are not related to you, and that the system will perform in difficult uh, scenarios. And so I'll I'll describe difficult as um, after a long day uh, in the rain with a fussy government observer who is kind of rushing you between steps and steps and steps. And even though it's raining, uh, the window is broken, so you can't raise that up. Uh, and you have to drive on the test track at about uh, you know 60 miles an hour over and over and over for like 20 minutes. So when you're frustrated and tired and annoyed, you can still be confident that even though you're skipping steps in the test, that the system is still going to work just fine. Yeah. I, I, that's that's because you're standing on the shoulders of just the iterative work of just your own experience in refining the uh, the work that you've done, but then all everyone else that has gone before you. So that yeah, I, yeah, all the other very smart people. I was going right, to exactly. <laughs> just like so. You're like the the confidence is is warranted, knowing that like that there was so much work that went into it. So you've been you've been uh, at Ford for now how many years? Since the spring of 2013. So since the spring of 2013. What have been, has there been any like really, um, what has been like probably the most exciting advancement in car technology that you've observed since you've been there? Um, in vehicle testing. Well, I'd say the. Or, you know, you could answer it this way. What's your favorite uh, tool to use when you're testing or is there is there a like t- to use a to a, to use the layman's term what's the, your favorite toy to play with when you're at work uh, I guess the so my favorite toy um, the we you know through the combination of things uh, I I can basically peek into the the diagnostics um and our individual data registers to see what is the true value of a specific timer. What it, what is uh, 
um, what was the last thing that was heard and 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 recorded uh, over the air? Um, so you know, I can peek into the brains of the vehicle, which helps significantly when I'm trying to troubleshoot. And then, you know, when you can, we, when you can have that access and also just spoof anything you want using my uh, simulator hardware, um, and then you know, all that kind of stuff, it, it becomes much, much easier to know what you're doing. Um, I usually like to throw away my toys when I'm doing official, what's called self-certification, where you're basically, the government is saying, we trust you to run this test, um, uh, how we say it should run, and then you're going to report your results to us. And then anytime later, we'll reserve the right to audit you and then rerun on a, on a, test vehicle that we choose. Um, so whenever I do th that specific testing, I leave all the fancy tools behind and I just, I essentially go agnostic and I bring my stopwatch and I bring my checklist and I say, okay, well, if it doesn't work, then I'm going to have to figure out why, but I know it'll work. Yeah, it makes sense to have that type of uh, assurance of the double blind to make sure that you don't have bias against your own results. So that's a, that's otherwise, a, otherwise yeah. my favorite toy is all the fancy, you know, cars that come out every couple of years. And then I'm I like, know. Oh, this is neat. This is, you know, this yeah. is cool. Yeah. The, the actual, the actual thing that you make is pretty fun too. Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, that's so great. Douglas, you had mentioned earlier that f form and function is, I think, something that you keep in mind when you're coming up with a design. How does that maybe um, in inform your decisions with what you're doing right now? Um, so, you know, our, our focus is always on the user. I, I use user as opposed to customer because, you know, we all interact with, you know, vehicles, even if we haven't purchased them. Um, so your user could be your grandmother, your parent, your very small infant child who already knows how to use a phone better than you ever did. Uh, so the focus is really how to get to their needs. How to add the magic sauce is always the, the little bits of, of uh, you know, special functionality that is unexpected and, and, you know, just brings a smile to people's day. You know, it's hard when you're dealing with a regulatory thing where you have to, it has to act a certain way. It has to turn on the light or turn off the light, you know, whatever. So it's in the margins of the, the ancillary, the extra features, the extra interactions, men, you know, not necessarily menus, but how, how the software and hardware manifests itself to make people's lives basically either get out of their way or make them happier. Um, yeah. I, 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 I guess where, where it comes in is you, you try to make the, the, the changes that you, you can make as quickly as you can and also make sure you're not doing any extra harm. So, uh, you know, it really just comes down to a, you know, every single day focusing on the, on the user. Yeah, that makes that makes perfect sense. Yeah. So, you know, the, one of the other questions I, I thought to ask is, so um, you've been in this particular division for since you started at Ford. Is is there another division that you would like to try to um, uh, work within at Ford? Because I know you said like you you had mentioned before the you like the idea of being a generalist that you could be 
functional in, in, in different places. It, are you, are you at your home in, um, in the, the, the tire pressure, um, division, or are you, do you think you would see yourself in any other part of Ford? I think it, uh, being here has allowed me to grow as a professional, um, grow in my, uh, technical expertise, um, and also get a lot of the generalist, um, benefits that I've had working both with the, on the hardware side, on the sensors themselves, um, their individual firmware, their performance, their manufacturer, um, and also the software that, uh, you know, just, you know, the many different changes and updates that, that I've been a part of, but I, I would agree that, you know, uh, per your original question, is there a different area that I think uh, I would like as well? Uh, yeah, I, I think I've, I've always been interested in user experience and um, both in a, the, the micro level, which is, you know, the individual software pieces, how this particular graphic is used to good effect or not, um, uh, you know, the user experience in that sense, but also as, you know, how do we, uh, the design kind of side, uh, I would say, is probably where a true home is. But I, I enjoy, while I am working in, in both areas, hardware and software, uh, uh, taking the opportunity to be part of those design decisions as well, both in uh, you know how the customer, the, how the user uh, experiences uh, my particular feature and how it's presented to them. Yes, that's, uh, that's, that's cool. Uh, so Douglas, you've been so generous with your time, uh, today and the, the time before when the technology failed us, uh, I, I like to end, uh, the interview with uh, a question for, for current wildcats. What do you, what advice would you give them for success? Um, you know, I'm cribbing the, uh, cribbing my advice from the guides I used to give at college when I used to see high school students come through and say, you know, maybe you don't, maybe you do come to Rose, maybe you don't. Um, so my advice would be, um, I don't think it's as important to your future where you go to school for higher education. I think your hard work and the what you can deliver in terms of uh, your port, not necessarily your portfolio, but your expertise that you get through real experience is more important than the name of the institution at the top of your diploma. Um, so any kind of outside of the schoolroom experience that you can get uh, would be helpful. And I, I mentioned earlier that there's so many more resources now um, for uh, programming, um, that you can just get off the internet, you know, the, it, it's become a, a big, uh, leveler of the field. Um, so I, I'd say the hard work you put in is really going to show, uh, based on the projects and the work that you've been a part of. Um, but hard work isn't the only important thing. So I'm cribbing a quote from, uh, uh, a famous, uh, soccer coach that, uh, tenacity is really the most undervalued uh, quality in a person. So 
tenacity, meaning stamina in your motivation. If you know what you want to do and you kind of have an idea of how to get there, you have to stay the course, you have to believe, you have to put in the hard work and the sacrifice, the long hours where it's just, I'm going to give up on this, I'm so tired, I'm so fed up. You know, you have to have the motivation to um, to put the time in in order to get where you want to go. So tenacity being stamina in your motivation, that's what you need to have. Perfect description of that intrinsic motivation and the rewards that await uh, once you act on it. So Douglas, thank you so much for your time today. This was really great. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Thanks for listening. If you want to find past episodes, go to Apple Music, Podcasts, and search We Go Vox.